Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about A Simple Favor, the newest movie from usual straight comedy director Paul Feig, but he's doing something a little different this time around, and I'm joined by my good friend Graham Hall, who actually hasn't been on in like 10 episodes, so I was glad I was able to get you back for this one, Graham. Thanks for joining me. Good to be here, man, as well, and it's good to see Paul... You know, I, I want to kind of say that this was a redemption of sorts for him because I think the last thing I saw that he did was Ghostbusters. And my expectations, having seen the original, you know, two Ghostbusters movies, was that and they were pretty sky high going into it. And I thought, you know, the guy with the who directed Bridesmaids, how could it fail? And I thought that this was definitely more of a return to form for him. And I'm interested to see how you felt as well. Yeah, I mean, people were pretty split on ghostbusters i mean like i i was i, I really like kate mckinnon and i like all those women that were involved in it and i unfortunately just, what who liked it did you like it well i mean it's like i i, I did not know i did not that's what i was gonna say okay. i said i, I didn't said, i have yet to meet anyone who really liked it outside you know loving kate mckinnon she was clearly the highlight i mean i know no i know i know a couple people that did and like it was like 75 percent on rotten tomatoes but i mean i think the but i i just didn't find it very funny i didn't laugh very much unfortunately and i had pretty high expectations for it so um i yeah i mean i was pretty disappointed i really liked bridesmaids in the heat and spy um it was really good even if um like i did never not see that yeah oh yeah you gotta you gotta see it just for like jason statham's oscar worthy supporting performance in it um yeah he's amazing in it and so is uh and so is uh rose byrne but Anyway, uh, I was like, really curious, though, when I saw the first trailer for A Simple Favor. I was like, whoa, like, this is Paul Feig? So, I mean, I saw it's like he's trying to do like a different kind of thriller thing. So based on what you knew about him and being kind of like let down the last straight comedy he did, what did you think when you saw that he was going out there and doing, as the trailer put it, the darker side of the director of Bridesmaids? I mean, do you have a lot of reference points for films of this genre? And how do you think he did in adapting to doing something a little different than he normally did? Well, I always like movies that sell themselves under the veil of a romantic comedy and i thought that's what this did a very good job selling until until about 45 minutes in you have the feeling that something is going to go awry very similar to to gone girl but you don't know what exactly is going to happen in the movie if you know well, if you saw the trailer you knew that was going to happen you know that that's going to happen but i i have tried to avoid um a lot of trailers a lot more recently and don't think i mean maybe i'd seen one or two trailers i i think actually i had you know, gone to the bathroom when the when the trailer had first aired, and we get back to the movie, and my girlfriend's sitting there and says, "You got to see a simple favorite trailer." Oh. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that that was pretty, um, and and then we looked it up, and and I did get a lot of Gone Girl vibes mixed with, you know, I I guess there are um, some bridesmaids vibes in there as well because Blake Lively is very funny, and Anna Kendrick, you know, you know what she can bring to the table. She was in a very Kristen Wiig esque sort of role in a sense. Um, but here's where I, my main point is, and that's why I brought up about Ghostbusters. And I didn't see Spy, although you know I, I like like that. I heard you know middle of the road type reviews. I thought that this was Fag's safe movie, you know, adapted from a book, very very intricate plot. I, you know, I don't think that that was. Uh, there are a lot of bold, more bold choices he could have taken um, if he was looking to make a splash as big as Bridesmaids. But this was a very well received book, a best selling novel. You know, you had an all star cast. It was funny. It had all the elements that you needed. It was a very safe movie that would have been hard for him to mess this up in a way. And I thought that it accomplished a lot um, of what it sought out to accomplish. Although there were certain things that I. I didn't think hit as well as 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 were in, uh, as as the director probably thought they would, and maybe that's a testament to me. But my main conclusion is I think that 
This was a very good movie, although it was pretty safe for him. It's not going to get him any bridesmaids like acclaim because it's not a monumental uh, movie a in the genre. Hundred million dollar yeah. hit or anything like that. No, but... yeah. Financials aside, it's it's not going to change how people you know view. I mean, bridesmaids did something for the raunchy women comedy that a lot of movies fail to do, and I think that this movie does a lot of uh, things about having romantic comedy elements in a suspense movie, but it's not you know genre altering in any sense yeah and i i guess i would agree with that it, the thing is that the thing that i keep saying when i talk to people about these movies is that i maybe i don't have a ton of reference points for like um different i mean some people are saying it they're trying to they're calling it like an erotic thriller and i get in the vein of something like fatal attraction or basic instinct which to be honest are movies that are a little bit of a blind spot for me so i, I came in with maybe a preconceived notion of what that kind of thing would be like but the, fir- the fir- I thought the first like forty five minutes, like you said, before there was the turn in this movie, I thought it was just absolutely delightful. Like just seeing the two of them hang out and that kind of stuff. I like I, I had some idea of what I thought the movie was going to be based on the trailer, but then just seeing them like hang out and drink martinis and have like Emily make Stephanie feel really uncomfortable, or Blake Lively's character and for making Anna Kendrick's character feel uncomfortable. Some people might have already forgotten the movie, the characters' names, but. I just thought it was just so much fun, and I'm like, and I knew something was coming, but I'm like, I'm glad they gave me a lot of this, and to me, that made it feel a little different from maybe what you might think your regular thrill would be like when the first 40 minutes basically was like a straight comedy, and I thought that that was kind of cool that the movie was able to just die, and I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that maybe some stuff didn't work as well, but for that, for me, maybe that was more in the second half of the movie, and though I still enjoyed a lot of that, but I just enjoyed like hanging out with these people and having it be a comedy and knowing that something was going to go wrong for them, but they still made me laugh a lot. Yeah, I think my biggest gripes are, like you said, um, as you approach the the climax of the film and the third act, I think that that's kind of where it did little lose speed. But like you said, those first 45 minutes, you could kind of tell something was up, but it was just two women you know, getting to know each other, introducing them to the characters, and those first 45 minutes are so well done that the movie probably can't succeed without that setup. You know, the rest of it, it's more just a middle-of-the-road type Gone Girl movie with comedy elements, but the movie is set up so well. Anna Kendrick is a strong performance, although I've heard people say that they didn't really you know, see her as well in the lead as, you know, which I didn't have that problem. But I would have to say that Blake Lively um, carried the movie for me. She had a Rosamund Pike-type performance of Gone Girl, but with much different elements, a lot, you know, I hadn't seen Blake Lively really in a role like that. I had seen those movies, you know, Savages that she did with Oliver Stone and stuff like that. But were you, were you, were you a Gossip Girl fan? I was not. No, I mean, I, I saw either. her in The Town. She played a, yeah. you know, like a drug addict whore in, in The Town. But um, this was definitely a different role for her, and it, it kind of did cement her status as, an, you know, an A-list actress for me in many ways, you know. I don't know who else could have pulled that role off of being so charming yet letting people know that there was this malicious and devious side behind her whole character. I don't know who, how many people could have pulled that role off, and that is a testament to her. She does deserve all the acclaim that she will get for that role. And this was a movie that, like that like Bridesmaids, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I hate to keep comparing it to that, but Bridesmaids was a movie with a good plot, but it was carried by the performances of the five leading actresses now this movie has to have a lot of the movie carried especially through the early parts through lively and anna kendrick until they introduce the guy from crazy rich asians and and then the play the plot starts picking up until then i think that kendrick and blake lively deserve all the credit for like you said keeping you enamored and interested in the plot until it really started picking up 
Yeah, I mean, and I no, I, I would agree. And I mean, I I would say there wasn't even a ton of plot to even go on other than just like getting to know them it just all of a sudden just jumps right into it and then as you said earlier it it becomes maybe something that's pretty conventional and i can't disagree with that but i do like those kind of stories so i mean as long as you're not like doing really stupid stuff i'm going to enjoy a thriller with a lot of turns uh to a certain extent and i there but i i mean i think there it was there was more to it than that and i enjoyed getting to see uh, Anna Kendrick do the investigation and like going to the going to her place of work and uh, putting the fashion designer guy like on blast or or even like having to awkwardly deal with the police and things like that as she's having to like justify moving in with this dude like three weeks later when it's probably something she couldn't have seen herself doing at all like three weeks before and and I can't disagree if like Blake Lively's the standout but the fact is. Eh, Anna Kendrick probably has a, a decent amount more screen time, and we're hanging out with her. And I thought she did a good job of carrying it until we got until Blake Lively came back. So I mean, I, I would just say that like as long as the traditional beats are hit in an effective way, uh, I don't mind if it is like your rote thriller, like you referred to it as earlier. As long as I'm enjoying the people I'm watching on the screen, and I think yes, Blake Lively should probably be the one because I, I love Anna Kendrick. Like, she's one of my favorite actresses. I always joke that she was, she, she's like the, one, of the, one of the few actresses I say is like the future Mrs. Jernavoy. But she, <laughs> like, I, I, I absolutely adore her. But the fact is she could do that kind of performance in her sleep. You know, that's like, that's like what she does. And she like translated it really well to this other kind of genre. And she carried it as long as she needed to until like Blake Lively could come back on the screen and like eat chew scenery. And she did that really well. Yeah, I think Anna Kendrick has played that goody two-shoes who rebels in a sense type role more than a few times. I mean, we even saw it on Up in the Air when she was trying to, you know, that was one of the first roles that introduced me to her. And she was in the shadow of George Clooney playing this, oh, man, your laissez-faire lifestyle offends me. I need to loosen up a little bit, which was a lot of this character. Um, You know, I, I hate comparing it to other movies, but I think that the one reference outside of bridesmaids that's pretty inescapable is is gone girl um unlike gone girl you can kind of see coming from a mile away that you know the husband and anna kendrick are gonna you know either be accused of cavorting together or being together or they're gonna wind up together and that's gonna be in this huge revenge plot which you know was a huge aspect of gone girl with rosamund pike wanting revenge and and ben affleck's character i mean if this movie was filmed through the lenses and the eyes of the husband this would be a Gone Girl is a comedy in a sense because, you know, there's the affair. It comes out in the media that, oh, maybe he killed his wife because he's got a, you know, a, another lover and all these other things. That, that was the only thing that really stuck out to me is kind of, you know, I don't even want to call it lazy because at the end of the day, these are two books. And how can you say that the authors, these books came out, you know, six, seven years apart? How can you say that maybe they didn't influence the other one? But it is pretty clear that as a viewer, that that's going to be a very familiar plot point for a lot of people because it's just so recent and it's an acclaimed movie. Um, And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people comparing it to that when this movie does a very good job outside of that very similar plot point at distinguishing itself from so many other movies. And that is kind of unfortunate, but at the end of the day, it's not its fault. It's two two books, you know? Yeah, I think think one thing that distinguishes this from Gone Girl is, uh, did you read Gone Girl, the book? 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually thought the movie plays is, and it's not a comedy. Like, Simple Paper is a funnier movie, but, like, the movie definitely oh, yeah. gives, like, more f- laughs than the book. The book is, like, oh, yeah. and I, I don't know that how much that you just attribute to David Fincher's direction and how he, like, uh, frames some of the scenes where Ben Affleck is just doing really dumb stuff and saying dumb things and looking really dumb. And, like, I remember, I just specifically remember my theater just laughing at him a lot. Well, and, Fincher does a good job at doing that and cutting that. And he even did that in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in many ways. But, yeah, absolutely. And, and here, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, there's some funny stuff involving the husband, but like, I mean, once he becomes involved, like at that point, the movie is taking itself more seriously. But what did you think of him, like, um, in that guy as a character? Because I enjoyed, like, at least the first time around when I didn't argue, because I, I saw the movie twice, just because I was like, I thought I, I just wanted to like refresh myself before I went and um, before before I actually did this and that when I but when I didn't actually know where it was heading, like I enjoyed getting to figure him out and like. At one point, like I thought before, like we knew that she was alive. I was like, man, maybe this guy is like kind of squirrely and like sleazy, and I didn't really know what was going on. And I liked, I thought there was enough ambiguity in that performance to make it not like totally predictable. Yeah, I think that a lot of viewers will kind of suffer through um, the effect that I had, and that's of uh, seeing crazy rich Asians less than a month before seeing this. Uh, my first reaction was, oh, wow, the, the British accent is real. My, <laughs> second, my second reaction um, was, okay, he just played, you know, the best possible guy in the world, the dream guy in crazy rich Asians. Maybe, you know, they're going to reveal that he's not as nice, like you said, as, you know, and that is a casting decision to leave that ambiguity in there because I don't know if, you know, the casting director is, was thinking, you know, there's no way they thought two years ago, oh, man, this guy will have just been a movie that came out. You know, viewers are going to think that he's, you know, uh, you know, a beneficiary of a billionaire rather than, you know, in this movie, he's not, they're not going to think he's a murderer. And that's what is, it works because, like you said, the viewer is left with this, you know, idea of is he or isn't he? I mean, it's possible. And they keep adding in a few things that, you know, there's a few reveals throughout the movie that, you know, you think you've got it pegged and then it throws all your opinions through a loop. You know, not just when it concerning, concerns the husband, but it does a view, you know, it does a good job of adding multiple layers throughout the movie that make you re-question things that you thought you had already figured out. And I think that deserves a lot of credit because, you know. Again, I hate to keep making this comparison. The one thing you can say about Gone Girl, even if you hadn't read the book, was that, you know, once those first 30 minutes of the movie happened, a lot of people did rightfully have it pegged where that would end up, myself included, you know, uh, that she would try and frame this revenge plot on her husband to start over. Um, I, I definitely thought the same thing in this movie from early on, but I think it deserves credit in, in it did a very good job making you question that repeatedly. And I don't think a lot of movies effectively capture that feeling anymore of making the, the viewer rethink his or her opinion multiple times throughout the movie. Yeah. And uh, right. I mean, I've, I've maybe hinted at spoilers for throughout right now, but we'll just call this a jumping off point right here. So, um, so it is like a, like a safer, a safer space for anyone to log off that hasn't seen it. But, what what, what what do you specifically mean by that as far as where they made you question what you were thinking throughout like was there a certain point in this movie where like oh huh that's interesting like i didn't see it going that way was there one point where it did kind of um uh cut your expectations off of the knees well i think the entire time you are supposed to think that blake lively has a malicious side to her but the entire thing you're wondering is you know is she in you know a abusive relationship both ways because she does make multiple you know verbal cues early on that you know hint to that the fact that her and her husband yeah um you know may be involved in some malicious activity until you know he says oh she's a compulsive liar and then 
you know, since you've already seen so much of Blake Lively's character, when he says that, you know, you, you start thinking, oh, man, is she lying? But at the same time, in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, this husband, what's his intentions, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of movies fall into the folly where they offer too much character development early on in movies. And that makes it so the viewer believes rightfully often, more often than not, that they have the protagonist or the side characters pegged. And that doesn't really leave many options open to for the viewer to be like, oh man, I didn't, you know, this was possible that I didn't know about them. I, you know, I had knew all their personality, but I didn't know these secrets. This movie did a very good job at showing you just everything you needed to know while also still creating this sense of belief that maybe there's a malicious aspect to all three of the main characters. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, th- there are multiple things you get into who, who could have seen, obviously this is a jumping off point. I don't think anyone could have seen from the first out in the first hour, you know, the whole thing about the crazy religious upbringing that Blake Lively's character had, the twin sister, you know, the accusations that Anna Kendrick later on in there. I don't think there were many hints in there um, that she'd come from a broken home or run away or all these other aspects. Um, You know, seeing her kill her sister and stuff like that and and some of those visceral things, the, the movie did a good job making you think that Blake Lively was capable of those things the entire time. Mm-hmm. But they always added in a sense of, you know, she was good around her kids. She was nice. She was funny. You know, there always was a few things, discerning factors that could have made you reason and say, ah, maybe it's all just appears worse than it is. The movie does a very good job at creating that sense of um, maybe things aren't as they appear the entire time. And I think it deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And I honestly didn't even see the twin sister thing coming even after they like like I, I, I took I took it at face value and they pulled the body out that had the same tattoo in the ring. I was like, oh, man, like kudos to the movie for having the balls to like actually kill her off and i was yeah. just, and i mean but then like they and, and then they have the one point where the kid's like oh i saw my mom at school and it's always but like at, at that point you're like huh i don't know what to think about that but then like when it has the thing where she walked back into the closet and all of emily's clothes are there again it's like oh huh now what's going on and event like i don't think they let you linger on that thought for that long that she was actually dead i almost wonder if they could have even like ridden that out a little longer and had a little bit more of the stuff in the middle where everyone's a suspect type of thing um but yeah i i mean i agree that like it i think that was a good point you made though of just about emily like it, you totally believable she was someone that would be capable of doing something like that but at the same time you don't totally despise her either uh and, and i kind of like that the movie like makes you feel a little conflicted in that way yeah absolutely i i, I think that Again, this is not only credit to Blake Lively, but the pacing of the movie very early on is at a very frenetic pace where you often forget that all these things are taking place over the course of, you know, several days because they do a good job keeping everything moving. There's not um, many slow sequences. Uh, I I think that is something that is important to harp on is that most of this takes place as if it's just, you know, over the course of what, two weeks or something like that, even even that. And I think that so much happens in the movie that it makes it um, it makes it easy to forget that, that, you know, they covered a lot in two weeks and there could have been some a lot more boring scenes in there. But with all that said, the last 20 ish, 25 minutes of the movie are probably my biggest criticism. And I think that's a, a pretty good segue. I think that there were multiple ways the movie could have been wrapped up a lot better uh, I, I think that, you know, they do keep, do a good job keeping the suspense going till the final five minutes. Right. I, I think that in those 15 minutes before those final five minutes could be trimmed down to eight minutes. I, I saw way too much um, that kind of killed all the suspense there for you because because there is kind of this this um, 
idea that, you know, oh, everything's fine, even though, you know, they think that the husband's going to be framed and, you know, you know, that Emily's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I would have liked to see that, them reach that climax with the webcam and the shooting scene maybe like five minutes earlier, because by the time that happened, I'm thinking, oh, OK, all right, this is it. This is the end. You know, I, it doesn't seem very natural. To I me. kind of agree with you in that it felt like it took a while, but at the same time, it felt like it was rushed. It's in, like, in a weird way. Like, I was like, yeah, that, that whole sequence was a long time, but then they didn't explain like a lot of stuff. It's like for a second, she uh, like the, the two of them, I guess it's implied that they're going to like team up to like put this whatever files on his computer that make the police go arrest him but then i guess there's a conversation that happens off camera where all of a sudden she's going to work with him where anna kendrick's going to work with him again and then they're going to and you just don't actually see what that turning point is so yeah i feel like they could show everything up until that point is is and then to leave out such a you know critical detail i get that that's keeping the viewer in suspense it's like it's it's a surprise yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a surprise, but it, and I, at first I was like, all right, like this. When I saw the movie the first time, I was like, yeah, this all tracks. And if that's the one thing they want to hold back from me, I guess that's cool. But I do see what you're saying in that, like they could have like found a way to just be a lot more efficient with their time and still maybe like not feel like you were maybe having a little bit of a shortcut taken for whatever reason. Yeah, even if it if it's it can be done by and again, I'm not a director or cinematographer or anything. It seems like movies do a good job. Letting, you know, the viewer know that, oh, there's something, you know, ulterior is up here or there's something secret happening just by showing close ups of two characters, maybe even looking at each other. And I think that even adding in a 10 second scene of, um, you know, a smirk between Anna and, and the husband would have would have gone a long way towards, you know, telling the viewer that, hey, you know, they actually have the the top plan here in the end. And it's not kind of all just going to luckily fall into place, I mean, which is how it kind of all came off to me. I mean, there it, it does do a good job at making you think that, you know, Emily's going to get away with it, even though most viewers today know that they don't pay, you know, $12 to go see a movie where the bad, where guy the bad wins, guy's yeah. going to win. And then they're upset. And, you know, if you're living in a fairy tale land, and the books don't become bestseller books when, you know, without a sequel, if, if the villain gets away, you know. So those things to me, again, that can just be how much we've seen movies and how familiar we are with the medium. But I think that, you know, it, it, it doesn't do a good enough job, you know, establishing that, hey, you know, Anna and, and the husband are going to come out on top. I think the movie makes it feel like they kind of just luck into it. Right. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And like, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm just thinking back on it now. Cause I was mentioning earlier how I did like seeing, um, Anna go do the investigations and things like that. I, I wasn't totally sure how I felt about the whole diversion into Michigan and the, uh, or going, or going to the, the family's house. Like that seemed like a little hokey and a little weird. And like, so-and-so just sneaks in somewhere and is able to just disguise himself as a ring? worker. You know the ring, the movie The Ring, two thousand and three. I'm not a big, I'm not as big of a horror guy as you, so I've never seen the ring. So when Naomi Watts is, you know, that's a, that's the two thirds through the ring when Naomi Watts is trying to find out the secret and what caused the evil in the videotape. She goes back to the family house and finds out that they lived a really secluded life and it led to their corruption. It was pretty much a very similar cut for cut scene in in terms of a plot point as it is to the room, but like you said. If you aren't familiar with that, it, it is kind of cool in a way. But some people, I could see, regardless, thinking it's kind of hokey. Yeah, I, I could have. I, I mean, like, 
I think like they could have like found a way to get get her that information that involved that didn't involve her just like driving off to like a someone's house like that and just hoping everything worked out and she got exactly the information she happened to need. Like it could have been more online stuff investigation. I mean, I get that Emily didn't keep a large digital footprint, but I mean, there might have just been a more efficient way to do that. Whereas like, but I did like I did really like um, just her going to Linda Cardellini, the painter's place. Um, that was a lot of fun. Like, I, she's an actress that I enjoy. That, like, yeah. I guess she she goes way back with Paul Feig back to Freaks and Geeks, and uh, so oh, it's yeah. cool. It's cool that he got her like a really cool like cameo in this, and like I I appreciated that. And like the, the line where she's like, "Oh yeah, like she's not normal like <laughs> you and me." After like her just giving a balls to the wall cameo performance up until that point. So, like I I guess I am more mixed on the effectiveness of some of that investigation stuff. But like I mean. It's a two-hour movie that, for sure, probably could have been an hour forty without actually like losing that much, you know. Yeah, I think so as well, and 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 it is very. I, I think that it's worth noting that. I think that is a risk. I mean, you factor in the fact that um, this is an R-rated movie, which is, is always hard to sell those as well. Then you factor in the fact that it's a two-hour-long running time, and that's something that comedies all tend to avoid. I mean, you and I are sitting here talking about kind of how the last twenty minutes could be 15 minutes shorter and i think that is uh a testament in a way to why people say hey you know movie comedies do kind of overrun their welcome in a sense and and they seem to drag and get less funny the longer they go on um i think that definitely you know look at all the r-rated movies i i think that in our lifetime in the last 20 15 years we've seen uh production companies realize that r-rated comedies may not be as profitable but they can eventually in the long run be more profitable i think bridesmaids again uh was a big part of that you know knocked up 40 year old virgin um get get out get out was like an hour 44 which i was just kind of thinking about as like something that had like comedy elements but also like a lot of mystery horror thriller all that too so like they made that that feels like almost like a perfectly length perfect length movie for everything in it and they got it done in uh, 15 minutes less than simple favor yeah and i think we are kind of agreeing here that like i said i mean it could have been a little bit shorter in in a sense um but it, it is hard to i mean i think I'm, i think we're getting to the point where we are nitpicking because this is a movie that overall succeeds in in what it sets out to accomplish is it is it perfect in many ways um i wouldn't say it's perfect it comes up you know you'd have to really look hard to dislike anything in the movie there there are certain things um that I think you and I are saying that reminded us of other movies and maybe things that we think could have been a little bit better. But overall, I think that you and I tend to say that we liked the movie. And that brings me back to the point I was just making is that overall, it is very hard to create not only, you know, a successful R-rated comedy, but to create a movie that one, people don't really know the full plot about. I mean, with Gone Girl, you had the selling aspect of David Fincher, Ben Affleck. People knew kind of what this, the plot was about. And in the Simple Favor trailers, it doesn't really make clear, you know, what type of movie people are going in to see. The, I think everything from the trailer is just kind of from the first 45 minutes, and and that is becoming a, you know, a more and more rare commodity these days. And these are all just bringing back to it's a hard movie to market. You have to market it as saying it's based on a book. You have to market it with, you know, Feig's name. You have to market it with Kendrick and Blake Lively attached. And you may even have to string some trailers onto the back of, you know, Crazy Rich Asians to sell to that crowd after that movie went number one. So there are a lot of risks for this movie. And the critical reviews 
that it has gotten, I think, are you know a testament to all the leaps it overcome. And I, I would say that I would it's a movie that I would see again and would recommend to people. Although at the end of the day, there are certain things that I think could have been changed, little things that would have made it a, a rewatchable movie for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I want to reiterate that I really liked it too, even though I got in the weeds uh, nitpicking a little bit with you. Like I already said, first 45 minutes are delightful. And I mean, there's like there's a there's a lot to like after that. They're just like a few points where it could have like tightened up but i mean i think paul feig showed that like he can do more than direct straight comedy and spy is like somewhat of an action movie too uh so like i knew he could i knew he could go beyond just doing like the thing he does in the bridesmaids or the heat or something like that but it is cool to see him like at least dip his toe in another genre and be able to like keep you on the edge of your seat in a way in the way that this movie does and like i had a lot I, i definitely had a lot of fun with that um and I, is there is there anything else you wanted to touch on though, like whether or not any of the performances you wanted to shout out anymore with any of those actors or, um, you know, I just looked it up on IMDb. the The next movie that's on Paul Feig's like IMDb is like the next thing he's directing is something called Last Christmas, and he's like reuniting again with Henry Golding. Um, and it, the only two actors on there though are just Amelia Clark and Henry Golding, and it says plot unknown, described as a holiday romance set in London. So. Also, so a sequel to Love Actually. And a screenplay by Emma Thompson, who is in Love Actually. Okay. Um, okay. So, so I don't know. We'll see what it maybe Paul like Feig is a little different. The 2018 sequel to the 2004 Love Actually. They just got to cast Hugh Grant. I'm I'm booking my advance ticket so, now. So you're um, a Love Actually supporter. Just to, I, I do like that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I I, every every year I, like, I read an article about how it's like really problematic, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see that, I see that, and then I still watch it every year anyway. <laughs> why is it, Why is it problematic? Like. I'll, I'll send you the article. I mean, there's a lot of stuff okay. about how it like, doesn't like treat its female characters as well as it could. Oh, uh, we're getting into peace culture, which yeah. I think is fine. I mean, well, I mean, if we're being honest, a, a fair and accurate, you know, representation of British love stories is probably not very fair to the women. If we're being honest, but fair enough. Sorry, we're, I, 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 I caught you. I <laughs> you were gonna. Yeah. You were, were you gonna ask something else before I asked you to comment on love? Actually, um. no. I think I think like you. If, if I think we are, we did kind of delve into a little bit of nitpicking in a sense. Um, because at the end of the day, I think that we are kind of undercutting how difficult it is to make a successful raunchy comedy at the end of the day. Not always, you know, we, I was kind of making it seem like, you know, an easy transformation to take a, a movie, a, a book like this and make it a movie. And that's not, you know, apparent at all. We've seen many, many books who have attempted to have dark elements and gritty humor and you know raunchy humor fall flat on their face especially in recent memory and i think that uh you know like paul deserves a lot of credit for that and that the two lead actresses deserve a lot of credit and everyone who worked on it absolutely um but with that being said you know it still does leave a little bit more to be desired i think in a sense and maybe that's just me but I think there are a lot of people out there who would thoroughly enjoy it and have no problems with it whatsoever because it, it, it is a very rewarding viewing experience in many ways about how it keeps you guessing, the suspense, that it'll make you laugh. It'll kind of scare you in some ways. I mean, then then scene when he gets shot is, is pretty scary. I mean, spoilers, but that is kind of scary for many people. So there are a lot of elements, I think, for a lot of people, and I think it, I think it is an overall a successful movie and what it sets out to accomplish. Yeah, and I think we were talking about it a little bit more before we started recording, but this has literally probably been like the slowest 
three weeks of the movies all year. Like I've been scrapping through just like I, I, want, I still want to put out a podcast every week even though my I don't have the same name I did on my old podcast where it kind of like necessitated you trying to do that. But like I kind of just want to do it just to do it and not have it like be something that people forget about on their podcast because your podcast will sometimes just stop downloading if there's not a new episode for a few weeks. So like it's like a personal challenge for me to get something out every week and it's just been hard to like find stuff that people are excited to talk about. And this movie does have a lot to it even if like it's not like a perfect movie. Like I highly recommend it because unless you live in like a big city that's getting a couple of different limited releases this weekend, there's not a lot coming out. So before we actually finally hit Oscar season next weekend, like I definitely recommend checking this out if you haven't already. And it sounds like you're kind of at the same place as me on it. So yeah, I'm glad I saw it for sure. And um, with that being said, you know, I think that part of the reason it is a selling point to people and kind of the reason crazy rich Asians was, and the Meg was as well is because we are kind of missing that, that tentpole movie that used to uh, kind of, you know, anchor the end of the summer season, that first, second week in August, you used to, mm-hmm. that used to be known as the week that someone would try and release the next big, you know, raunchy comedy, whether it was super bad in 2007 or, you know, 30 minutes or less. Some of the ones that recently come to mind every single year, it seems one of those big production companies and, and Fag was a big part of them. You know, Judd Apatow is, well they were always releasing movies in august and this is like you said one of the first years in recent memory that i can't really remember having you know i think what was it what was that animated movie a few years ago about the you know the seth rogan movie where they you know about the food yeah that was an august movie so those are always august raunchy r-rated comedy seemed to hit in that first second week of august and they sell like you know you know, like hotcakes in a way. I mean, that's that's when production companies want them to come out because people are used to seeing that. And I think it is, you know, this is a risk to put this out a month later because, you know, you they could have capitalized on the end of the summer movie crowd. Um, but at the same time, it does make sense because, like you said, the, the whole landscape is very bare that – if you ask a lot of people well, what is the top be out right now to see, I think that a lot of people would say something. Yeah, favorite. I mean, I would say though, like as of like even just like a couple months ago, people maybe thought that movie was going to be The Predator. I mean, Shane Black, his last two movies are really good, and he had a big cast for this one. And I think, and then it just wasn't good. Uh, so that what that was something that was on the calendar that should have been that, and it just wasn't, unfortunately. I mean, I actually thought I actually thought Predator was okay, but like the like, not bad, bad, but like actually, you know what it what you know what it really was. And I think that we're, we're forgetting a little bit. Back in April, yeah, they you know it was originally supposed to come out in the third week of August. New Mutants, and oh, they yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They even already. Shoot. It's so weird. They had a trailer they, out for it too, and then they yeah. went back and did. Well, they, I, I, I thought that tra- I thought that trailer was actually pretty good too. To make it, you oh. know what they you know what they're doing in it? They're making it scarier. Okay. And this is one of the last few uh, movies that X Men movies that that uh, Fox is itself yep. handling. Right. Um. So that won't come out until next August. But, you know, back in April, the talk was that New Mutants would be the big, you know, end the last superhero movie before, like you said, Oscar weekend rolled around. And that just didn't happen. So I think that we're feeling a few side effects of movies getting pushed around. And over the last six weeks, it has been a pretty barren landscape. All right, Graham. Well, I think we summed this up pretty well. And I appreciate you taking the time to join me. And I uh, and I and I I will, I'm sure we'll get you back here during Oscar season for something. So as always, you got to just keep me up uh, keep keep me up to date on what you're seeing, and we'll hopefully be talking about something that's going to be nominated for Best Picture or something like that. But um, until then, uh, where can the people find your stuff, which is mainly Gator football this time of year? <laughs> yeah, if you care about uh, the Gators right now, uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. Otherwise, uh, you can listen to me on here as Josh and I will talk about a lot of movies. I'm sure over the next three months, and um, I need to see the Sisters Brothers and a, a few other things. Like like that i think the ones um 
that I'm really looking forward to see most are a few documentaries coming out this fall. But, you know, I haven't. What are those? Too- I don't even know if I have any documentaries on my to watch list right now. What's that? Um, oh, there's that one that's about man. I'm gonna have to send you a few later. There's, okay, cool. I just saw a trailer for one yesterday, but um, you know, it's always a bunch coming out. I you mean, said, Making a Murder season two comes out oh, in yeah. two weeks, and so I mean, stuff like that. I'm always just I'm kind of in a documentary mood right now. I I just saw three identical. You know, we talked about three identical yeah, yeah, strangers. Yeah, yeah. See that again. So um, that that's a movie I still think about all the time. So you yeah, said, you send me you send me your to watch list, and I'll send you like an article that'll make you question everything you thought about Love Actually. Um, and <laughs> And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Renovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, and Letterbox, which Graham still needs to get, is uh, That's true. Jo- Josh Jernavoy. And yeah, well, actually, actually kind of like, I think you would appreciate Letterbox and get a lot of use out of it, but I actually kind of like you not having it also, because I know I can just text you and see if you saw something, but like, a lot of a lot of my friends that I do have on though, like I already kind of know what they thought about the movie before I came <laughs> on, and like now I don't actually know what you think unless you like just text me and tell me like, you know, this was awesome. So sure. It is kind of cool, like having it be a surprise. But I also like just like, yeah, I also <laughs> just like knowing, like, oh, that person saw that, they can therefore do the podcast on it. So it's, yeah. it's it, it, it just depends. But like, uh, it's a great, it's a good product. Everyone should get Send it. Send me so. the link to that again, and we will, we'll make it happen. All right, cool. But sure, uh, Graham, thanks for joining me. Everyone else, stay tuned uh, for. Actually, you know, next week I think I might put out something on, depending on who sees it. I'm gonna hold the dark. I don't know if you're a fan of J- Jeremy Saunier's movies. Green Room. He's the guy that did Green Room. You saw Green Room, right? Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw Green Room, absolutely. And he, yeah. he did Blue... I have not seen. Okay. I'm not rid of this new one. Oh, Blue Ruins, the one he did before that. Um, and the, the, the Hold the Dark, it's like a Netflix one that's coming out this weekend. So I might put something out on that like next week. And then we got Star is Born, that movie no one's heard of, and uh, and First Man. So then we'll get like into Oscar season. So everyone stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.